Welcome to Wise Health for Women Radio with Linda Prater. Women are pressed daily to give more, learn more, and be more, often at the expense of mind, body, or spirit. Each week with intriguing guests and topics, we'll bring you fresh ways to view your limited time, encouraging a shift to new, healthier perspectives. Wise Health for Women Radio, helping women thrive. And now here's your host, Linda Prater. Greetings and so much of a warm welcome to you. We are so pleased to invite back to our show today, Lorraine Hamilton from Wellington, New Zealand. And I find Lorraine such a delight in terms of the energy she provides and the expertise that she gives. And we had a show on triggers, those emotions that can bring up memories, good and bad. And we had so much to talk about, but we decided we needed to have a follow-on show. So this we're calling Triggers 2. And Lorraine, I'd like to welcome you back. Thank you so much. It's great to be back. I always love talking to you, Linda. Well, I just enjoy our time together because I think that there are many people who have these same questions about, okay, I can evolve over time and I can understand that maybe my fears don't match my facts and I need to take a step back. And yet we still can find ourselves reacting instead of responding. And so we'll talk more today. I'd love it if you could take a step back, though, and talk about what we do, those three things, deleting, distorting, or generalizing our experiences. And that's how we get into trouble. Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, so basically, even just taking a very small step back behind that is that you know, we're being exposed to way more information than we can handle at any given moment. So, and I'm not talking about, you know, emails and Facebook and stuff like that. I mean, sensory based information. So right. is it too hot? Is it too cold? Is that, um, is that taste? Is that thing going to poison me? What's that noise? Is that something that is going to come and attack me? So it's very primal sensory based information. And we're being exposed to way, 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 way more than we can possibly handle. So the, there's lots of different figures that are bandied around. I subscribe to the fact that we're being exposed to two million pieces of information at any one time. And we can only handle eight now, there's lots of different numbers, as I say, but basically there's a great big number of stuff that we're being exposed to. And then there's a wee tiny number that we can actually deal with. And that's the important part. So is that why you were saying before that when so much information bombards us, we have no choice but to either delete it, yep. which I, I think we do to a lot of, of sensory information that comes in, and then we may distort it which isn't probably a good thing. And does that happen more often when we're overwhelmed? Um, look, it happens because we have a series of filters that we use to inform what we delete, what we distort, and what we generalize. So we'll, we'll get probably to, to what happens when we're under a stress response um, a little bit further on in the piece. But basically what we do and how we do this process of deleting, distorting and generalizing is through a number of filters. So those filters are um, our value system, mm -hmm. our belief system, um, decisions that we've made in the past and the data that we've got back from those decisions. 
memories and also our strategies. So we have a strategy for everything that we do. We have a strategy for getting up in the morning. We have a strategy for getting dressed. We have a strategy for making a purchase. We have a strategy for getting stressed and overreacting to things. <laughs> we have a process for everything that we do. So, so those are the filters that we use to know what to delete, what to distort, and what to generalize. Are we supposed to be deleting, I mean, or distorting or generalizing everything? I can see generalizing in a little more common way that that goes into this bucket. But when we distort, are we are we trying to put a happy face on things? And would that be considered distorting? Uh, or when we take a slight that someone didn't mean that way? For example, text messages can be so misunderstood. I think they're the worst form of communication ever, other than for I'm arriving at this time, ETA, whatever. So are we, I guess we get into trouble when we distort in ways that don't serve us well. Does that make sense? It does. It makes perfect sense. And that actually comes into those filters of, you know, our belief system. What do we believe about what's being said and, you know, or, or what, decisions have we made in the past or our value system so I would say that you know distorting and generalization and deleting stuff isn't in and of itself a bad thing it's a necessary thing because Mm -hmm. we're being bombarded with all this information but how we do that changes from person to person so that that combination of values beliefs decisions memories and strategies those are what what create your unique recipe for how you will distort and generalize and how other people will distort and generalize. So that's how we have different interpretations of things like text messages, right? I absolutely agree with that. And I think that with communication going so fast these days, we often don't step back, breathe, and before we respond. It's, it becomes very knee-jerk. And I also think that with things like written communication, it's being read on our smartphones, which I think is an enormous error because you can really distort what the message says unless you are reading it on a bigger screen sometimes or not in a rush or not multitasking, which I personally believe is impossible to do. So the way we has not served us maybe we needed those primal things because we had coming at us months ago but it all this information does have to be sorted and filtered hopefully not doing harm to ourselves yeah and that's a really interesting point that you raise because we still have those survival instincts and that's still what is running the show. So it's just that we don't have those real threats to our survival coming at us anymore. So it's an interesting scenario where we end up reacting, as you Mm -hmm. say, absolutely reacting from a primal sense because our fight, flight, freeze fear center is being triggered. So we want those those behaviors to happen very quickly. We want to we want to 
run away from the threat. We want to be able to stand and fight against the threat. We want to hide from the threat. And that message actually happens a lot quicker in our brain than going through our cognitive brain and going, oh, right, okay, well, what's actually going on here? Let's think about <laughs> this for a while and weigh up some pros and cons. Right. So, um, so we do want that instinct to still be there because if we do come across a real threat, we want it to kick in so that we don't think and we just react. But it happens all the time. So if you if you keep finding yourself, the way that I describe self-sabotage, which is what we're talking about here, mm-hmm. is doing things that don't make sense. So right. things that you cognitively and intellectually know are not going to help you achieve your goals but you do them anyway and you're left scratching your head going oh how did that happen well it's where it comes out verbally and you are still thinking it and when those two things happen simultaneously that's not always a great scenario as you said so in order to step back and as I think we talked about it the last time, reverse engineer our triggers so that we have a strategy that is more positive and works for us. Changing that requires us to to kind of take a deep breath, plan a new strategy, does it? It absolutely does. And and it is about practice. So so when I talk about this um or teach it, it is talking about developing a practice around what is your strategy. So we, um, we are, I, I wish I could wave a magic wand and tell you that when you feel this, the thing that happens now is, um, is predetermined. I, I want to be able to give you the list, but I can't because everyone's different. So maybe we can pick this up and start to explore that. I would love to do that. And I think, thank you very much for doing that. I also want to tell you about something that has helped me take a breath back and sort of put me in a better place because there's an amazing new product that I was introduced to just recently called Liquid IV. And I'm not always good at drinking enough water. And this is a marvelous tasting powder you add to water to give two to three times the benefit of plain water, which I sometimes find to be boring. Do you drink enough water, Lorraine? Oh, it's a constant challenge. I drink a lot of um, herbal tea to try and get my liquids up. There you go. So this is a hydration multiplier. I'm good at drinking water at the office, but when I'm at home working in the garden or on my latest project, I honestly neglect myself sometimes. My favorite is the liquid acai berry. It also comes in lemon-lime, and there is nothing better when you're dehydrated, you've worked out too hard, or you've had a big night on the town and need to be on your game in the morning. No joke, liquid IV is amazing for avoiding the headache and the morning that you don't really want to see coming that can follow a wonderful night on the town. My newest project is working on stripping the railing on my deck, which was great to start, but not as I kept on going. And I came in very depleted one day recently, drank liquid IV and was almost immediately revived. This is so convenient. It comes in individual packs. You can tuck anywhere. And I keep it on hand for stomach flu, for older family members who forget to drink, and it's excellent for children, too. I am really impressed with Liquid IV, and know you'll love it, too. 
Right now, our listeners get 20% off liquid-iv.com when you use code WISEHEALTH at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order on Liquid IV's website. Go to liquid-iv.com and enter promo code WISEHEALTH to get 20% savings and start getting better hydrated. That's liquid-iv.com, promo code WISEHEALTH. Don't wait. I truly love it, and you will too. And Lorraine, we're going to go on a break now, and we'll come back and talk further about reverse engineering, getting deeper into relationship between memories and feelings and body language. And I'm really excited to keep this conversation going. We'll be back after this short break. Stay with us. We're Wise Health for Women Radio, and we'll return after these short messages. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Did you know that the average teenager drinks twice as much soda as milk? Since 1983, sugar consumption in the U.S. is up 28%. Why is that? There are several reasons, but one of the most common is soft drinks. 20-ounce beverages have become the norm, and it's not surprising to find that 43% of our sugar comes from drinks. Sugar is blamed for poor nutritional diets. USDA data shows that people whose diets are high in added sugar eat less calcium, fiber, iron, protein, and many other important nutrients. Fat-free foods are also a culprit. Since sugar is fat-free, many people tend to think it's okay to eat as much as they want. Remember that just because a food is fat-free does not mean that it's calorie-free also. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. Have you ever met one of those people who just can't be stopped? It's like they're unstoppable. Yeah, I have. Me too. What's their mystique? Nothing stops these people. Each week, join Coach Frankie Picasso for Mission Unstoppable, where you'll meet some of the most amazing people. They've accomplished their goals despite insurmountable odds. They beat adversity, physical hardship, and traumatic events, and emerge triumphantly. They're people just like you and me, and they're winners. Are you unstoppable? Join Frankie Picasso every week for Mission Unstoppable and learn how. Stop. Welcome back. We are talking with Lorraine Hamilton about triggers. And this is our second show on triggers. And we're going to dive deeper into what's the relationship between our memories, our filters, and feelings. And you take that wherever you want to take it, Lorraine. Okay. So I get really excited about this part, Linda, because I feel like it's the missing link to behavior change. Um, So Forgive me and slow me down if I go too fast here <laughs> get excited about it. So what we're talking about, what we've said before is that, you know, we have all this information, we're deleting, distorting, we're generalizing it based on a series of filters that are like our value system, our belief system, our strategies and things. 
The remainder of that filtering process then has to get stored in our brain. So we, we store it as some sort of memory. Now, most of us, not everyone. So if you're listening to this and, and you're like, I don't, that that's not me. That's okay. That's cool. Most of us store our memories in picture format. So if I said to you, think of a yellow lemon, you'd probably get a picture of a yellow lemon, right? Right. Okay. Cool. And then you would have a feeling about the yellow lemon. You might feel like, oh, that's going to be really sour or that looks really refreshing or there's some sort of feeling attached to the picture. Okay. Okay. Yes. And then in order to access that particular picture, you may or may not be aware that you have to have a certain physiology. So your body language has to be in a certain place to access different memories, different pictures. So to explain that, if you notice, if you have very closed body language and your eyes are down and your chin is down and your shoulders are rolled, it's actually really easy to access sad memories, which is why we usually find that people who are are struggling with depression, anxiety, or are just feeling sad will have sort of lowered head, you know, rolled shoulders. It's very difficult to be sad when you have incredibly open body language. So if your eyes are up at the ceiling and your shoulders are back and down and your heart is open, it's actually harder to access those memories. It's the same. You may notice it. Yes. It's what your mom used to tell you, which is, you know, smile and you'll feel better. Oh, God, Linda, yes, my dad used to do this to me, and I loved her dearly. But when she said that to me, I wanted to punch her. Same. But it works. It does work. And it's hard to be uh, dragged down when you're in that point. In fact, sometimes doing the opposite of what you feel like really makes you laugh and put it in perspective. Yeah, but it can be hard to do when you're just coming from a thought perspective. So if you're just coming from, oh, you know, think of a happy thought or, you know, just change the way you feel, that's really hard. But even if you feel bad, you can change your body language. So you can Mm -hmm. smile. Mm -hmm. You can get up and put your eyes to the ceiling. You can do that. And the relationship between those memories and those feelings and that body language are inextricably linked. So if you change one, the others must change. Now, does it automatically follow that? Yeah, try it. Well, no, I, I do believe it because I, <laughs> I can remember being told that and, and you, you actually just moved moved on very quickly and easily. I think where we come and where most people associate with triggers are some really negative memories. And sometimes those, they, they're, they're going to need to be processed a little more. The, the body language will often surprise me that it does close down like you just described. Um, but I'm very aware of watching other people's body language. And and it's funny when you start to have conversations with people you know well, because they don't often see it. If you're really looking for it, don't you find that the cues it gives you are enormous? Oh, 
Phenomenal. Absolutely. And it speaks into, you know, the body language also feeds into the energy that you get from that person and, and how you feel about that person. Mm-hmm. So again, it's feeding into this, you know, you're making decisions and you're making assumptions and you're making more memories based on the cues that you're getting from other people. We use this in uh, coaching to to really see what's not being said. So when you're very tuned to other people's sensory acuity, when, when you can really see those imperceptible shifts in body language and eye position, it mm-hmm. gives us so much insight into what's going on for the other person that that's where our coaching can become really, really powerful. So, yeah, absolutely, watching other people's body language is, is truly fascinating but just going back to the memories that you mentioned earlier around how some memories need a bit more processing mm-hmm. what we I, and we don't have time to go into it in this segment but just to make you aware that by changing some of the ways that the picture looks we can change the way that we feel about things so we can actually change the picture which will change the feeling um, so these things are all very much linked together, and um, and by changing one, you can. Okay, so let me explain that a little bit better. There is a technique, and it comes from NLP, which is neuro linguistic programming. And sometimes mm-hmm. NLP gets a bad rep. I personally love it, and if you do it for for only good, then I think you're okay. But what <laughs> what it teaches us is that the the, so if we go back to the yellow lemon, mm-hmm. and, and if you look at the yellow lemon, and you'll probably notice whether it's in colour or black and white, maybe your picture has a frame around it, or maybe it's like a panoramic picture of a yellow lemon. It might be moving, or it might be just a st- static image. You might get smells or sensations, like you're, you might get some salivation when you look at your yellow lemon. Yeah? Okay. So your yellow lemon doesn't look like my yellow lemon. I'm pretty sure it doesn't. But but doesn't a lemon look like a lemon? Well, a lemon looks like a lemon, but my lemon's a cartoon. Is your lemon a cartoon? (laughs) Point well taken. No, it's not. Mine (laughs) is is the produce stand. Okay, so yours is very different to mine. And therefore, your feeling is probably different to the way that I feel about my picture. But if I was to superimpose my picture over your picture, you would get my feeling and I would get your feeling. So where we use this is in techniques for changing the way we feel about memories. So in all seriousness, we can use this technique to help people who have gone through PS. Uh, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder Mm -hmm. type scenarios and we can change the experience and the way that that experience has been stored in our brain we can change the way that it's stored which changes the feeling and And the outcome yeah and the outcome because that relationship between these pictures the feelings the body language the outcome of that or the output of that is our behavior or what we do next. Mm-hmm. And what we do next is going to determine our results. It always does. And I think so often um, momentary lapses in um, where we, we move to emotion versus cognition can really haunt us if we aren't aware that we have them. So isn't some self-awareness 
vitally important to triggers that are negative, that are going to push us in a different direction or need more processing time? Definitely. And there's shame attached with the negative behavior that has been caused by a trigger, which I think is is one of the reasons that it's so difficult to take ownership of it. Because if you remember that doing things that don't make sense, it's like, how did I get in front of the the pantry and I've eaten a packet of chocolate biscuits? How did I get to the point where I ripped my partner's head off over something so simple as leaving the towel on the bathroom floor? Mm-hmm. It's disproportionate response to what has happened. So then then shame starts to layer on and then it becomes very, very difficult. So absolutely, you need that self-awareness. But I think you also need the, the knowledge that it's not something that's wrong with you that's causing you to have these reactions. In fact, it's something that is working just a little bit too well and that's your survival instinct and you don't want that to not work. It's just we want to we want to pull back a little bit so it works appropriately. Right. And I think that when you've lost trust with someone or a situation, um, it takes courage to move in a different direction and it but in the meantime it can hurt new relationships in the future definitely because you're taking on those experiences so remembering those decisions that we've already made Mm -hmm. they become the filter and so the filter becomes the beliefs and and the way that we store and code our information so it becomes this big cycle but if you understand what's going on then you then you can make those changes and start to change the way that you filter information and like I say it is a practice Mm -hmm. so it's not something that happens overnight so you need the awareness you need education on what to do but you also need a bit of compassion with yourself and and recognize that we can teach you this stuff but you have to practice it and sometimes you'll get it and sometimes you won't and that's okay Well, I think that there are times in your life, and this is true for me, where I was literally baited to react a certain way. And it takes a very long time to realize, hmm, I fell for that. There's a quote that I'm not going to get right, but this is something close. It's, you know, don't wrestle with uh, a pig in mud because you'll both get muddy, but the pig will like it. (laughs) <laughs> and and it's just a, a, a different thing. And once you realize that the, that pattern is there, it's as someone wise once said to me, um, when you look at why someone does something, look at what happens when they do. And so if you keep reacting the same way, it's going to continue or more likely to continue. And I lesson the hard way over years of practice, as you say. So sometimes these things take a very long, depending on how traumatic they were. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I say, you know, be compassionate. You're very, very skilled currently in the way that you are responding to situations. So it's going to take time to learn a new skill. That's absolutely true. We have another break and we will be back and we're going to continue to talk about memories, feelings and how we distort things and how we can reverse engineer that so that we will accept what life brings us a lot more smoothly. We'll be right back.
We're Wise Health for Women Radio, and we'll return after these short messages. you ever wonder how reindeer survive the severe cold? Well, they snuzzle around for some moss to eat. Moss contains a special chemical that helps keep their body fluids warm. And they're going to have to keep warm if they're going to pull Santa's sleigh every year. Santa's sleigh was originally called a wing doodle. Both male and female reindeer grow antlers, but male reindeer drop their antlers at the beginning of winter. I can't help but wonder why Santa's reindeer from Rudolph to Blitzen had male names. Since they had antlers, they would have had to be female. We women should have known only females would be able to drag a hefty man outfitted in a red velvet suit, originally called a hoopin' daddy, all around the world in one night and not get lost. It's marching I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Weight Watchers says that many things can distract you from working out. Recognizing these danger zones and avoiding them is crucial to losing weight. Be it your favorite TV show, a family phone call that can go on for an infinite amount of time, or a neighbor or friend popping in for an impromptu chat. There are definitely obstacles that can throw off your exercise attempts. One way to put all these interruptions at bay is to exercise first thing in the morning before you start your day. If you make exercise your first priority and your earliest act of the day, you can bypass many of these danger zones. But if working out early is not an option for you, finding a time each day that does work and sticking to it is also a good plan. Shun the danger zones and see your exercise and weight loss succeed. I'm Annette Hammond. If you're a fan of Fitness Minute, like us on Facebook at Fitness Minute with Annette Hammond. Welcome back. We are going to talk further this segment about the power of emotions, which I sort of brought into the last segment with my example, but prep more vibrant examples, Lorraine. <laughs> no, uh, I, I believe that we give emotions an awful lot of power over us. Mm-hmm. So just listening to our language, if, if you say, oh, I'm really angry or I'm really stressed, then think about what that feels like in your body. So it might feel like you've, your chest's tightening, um, you know, that you are, you might feel like you're headachy or that your teeth are clenched or, you know, I hear a lot of different really scary symptoms, you know, feeling panicky, your heart's mm-hmm. absolutely racing, pounding out of your chest, you know, tingly legs, it's shaky. It's quite scary when we get to to that point um and we say this very oh i'm so stressed and it's a very powerless position that we put ourselves in when we say i am stressed mm-hmm. or i'm angry it's very powerless but simply by shifting from saying i am to i am feeling stress oh interesting what does that do it takes some of the power away yeah so suddenly this is there's there are other options. Is That's that a what? very 
very good example, though, of shifting the perspective just a little bit. And it also takes the load off of you. Yeah. It's, I call it my little magic. You know, it's, it's, it, is, it feels like magic just by shifting from, well, as opposed to being this thing and becoming your identity and all-encompassing mm-hmm. to I have noticed that I am feeling stress. And then you can say, right, stop. You talked about taking a breath. Mm-hmm. That's where you take the breath. I like that. When I am stressed, there is no stop point. Hmm. So that's my little magic for you. For, for I, I, I'll take all the magic I can get. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> No, I think, though, that we do give our emotions a lot of power. And in some cases, there are people who love the drama of emotions. They love it. They live for it. I I have some family members who are addicted to emotion and drama, and they wouldn't know what to do without it. And, you know, that's that's for them to live, and that's okay. But I think most of us would really like to, as you just did, de- couple emotions from our stomachs and our brains and our panic responses and that kind of thing because it's an unnecessary strain it is and it's those um very powerful feelings that we have in that you know i am stressed that can cause us to take the behaviors that are not serving us they're they're not bringing us closer to our goals they're not bringing us closer to our relationships and so recognizing that just by reverse engineering those those feelings it can help you to stop the process sooner and then you have a choice to respond rather than reacting so the there is choice at play mm-hmm. so i kind of the the reason that we get these very strong um physical responses to our emotions is because we haven't been paying attention and so for years and years and years we've been ignoring them we put a lot of stock on intellect and cognitive ability and we've broken that mind-body connection so our body's talking to us all the time but we haven't been taught to listen to it and so the way that I liken what's happening is that you know you if you can imagine a toddler and you're having a conversation with someone in the supermarket and, and the toddler's kind of pulling on your on your trouser leg and saying, <laughs> Mom, Mom, and, and you don't pay any heed. And then, you know, it gets a little bit louder and a little bit more insistent, Mom, Mom. And then suddenly the toddler's screaming and, you know, having an all-out tantrum on the supermarket floor. And you're like, how did that happen? These are the signals. So your your body sends you these kinds of signals as well. It's just we're not listening to them until it's the all-out tantrum on the floor. I, that makes perfect sense too. Yeah. Mm. So, but having that knowledge, we can then go, okay, well, before the tantrum, what happened before my heart was pounding out of my chest? Oh, well, before my heart was pounding out my chest, I actually fit, I got a rush of heat or there was tingling in my fingers or, and, and this is why I say everybody has their own strategy and I can't reverse engineer yours, unfortunately. I wish I could. Mm-hmm. Um, so you need to think, okay, well, right before that, that feeling of being completely out of control, what was I feeling in my body? Because these are the cues that we have 
for getting off of that bus before it reaches panic mode. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think sometimes we'll go back to the text messaging that can be so misunderstood that can light people up. Are we taking things too personally sometimes? I think some people do take things too personally sometimes. And again, it comes back to the recipe of your filters. Mm-hmm. So how how your filters are put together. Because some people take things too personally. Other people seem to have skin as thick as an elephant. And mm-hmm. nothing ever seems to bother them. Um, and that's because of their values and belief system and the way that they filter information. So everybody's on a bit of a a spectrum of you know their particular recipe and the outcomes that that delivers for them what i also find fascinating is that we talk about people to whom nothing seems to bother them but when you get to know them a little better you find that things do bother them they're just better at masking it yeah yeah absolutely i mean we we all feel we all have things that we're dealing with and and some people are more open about what they're going through than others mm-hmm. um, and and again that's down to belief systems isn't it you know there it, there may be a belief at play that um it's it's weak to appear sensitive um there may be a belief at play that you know if if people don't see that I'm hurting then I'm not I'm not going to get the help that I need. So this becomes very interesting into, you know, what are the beliefs underlying the behaviours? And as a coach, I mean, that's what I'm fascinated by. I'm fascinated by the fact that I think women especially are not terribly kind to themselves. So they're, in my opinion, they're often very harsh and judgmental to themselves about what just happened, um, what was someone feeling, what did they notice? And that's back to the distorting or mm. generalizing what was going on. And I find that distortion um, aspect very fascinating because I, I think we can distort it to the positive, but if we're in certain frames of mind or triggered in certain ways, you're going to distort it to the negative unless you're able to change the perspective like you said I am feeling stressed mm. and and taking a, a step back but I, I think that distortion is is absolutely fascinating because two situations are not viewed the same by two people that's right that's right and and it is those that's a really good indicator of the start of finding limiting beliefs is listening to people's language um, and that's fine if you're in a conversation, you can listen to someone and if they're, you know, if they're berating themselves, then you can get an inkling that there might be something going on. Where it's very dangerous is when we are talking to ourselves, when it's our self-talk that is constantly beating ourselves up because our unconscious mind is just accepting it. It doesn't know the difference between good and bad. It just it just works on what you give it. So if you mm-hmm. say, uh, I... I'm such an idiot, then what it does is it goes away and it will find you evidence to support that statement. Right. And, and it works tirelessly to do that. Um, so when you're constantly saying, oh, I'm I'm such an idiot, I shouldn't have done that, da, 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 it goes, all right, okay, well, I'll just go and find you evidence and serve that up to, to support <laughs> you um, in what you're saying. So there you go, here's more. And so it becomes a spiral, a downward spiral. 
Right. Um, and you've watched people do it. I, I've, I've, I've watched people do it. Um, it's funny, the, the self-sabotage that we've talked about in other shows and mm-hmm. among ourselves is, is so prevalent. And yet when you sense patterns in people or yourself, that's a really great point of recognition because then you see what's happening and you see the picture. The hard part is when you're not yet at that stage where you can see it. Yeah, that is um, that's the most challenging part, and it's it's just recognizing that there's something that's not going the way that you want it to go, and then getting the help from someone who can help unpack all of those layers, mm-hmm. um, because it's difficult to do for yourself for sure. From that from that place, it's really hard. Well, it is, and you become attached to needs that are not serving you and then you're right the brain will go out and find all kinds of evidence to support it so a a lot of what we do um, is internal as well as observational you mentioned the intuition I think that there's a lot of importance to intuition speak to that a little bit your intuition is your guiding light for sure and again it, it takes time to practice to trust it Mm-hmm. And, and and to to really hone your intuition. And I think probably only now am I beginning to really follow that gut instinct because I've put so much uh, or I've been taught to, to put so much credence on what I think rather than what I feel. So, so to your intuition is sort of dropping down from your head and feeling into that gut and heart space mm-hmm. and feeling again. So again, just trusting what you feel more than what you have been told or what you think is um, is right. And I say right in those, you know, inverted quotes. Um, so intuition, again, is something, all of these things that we're talking about are, are things to become aware of by listening to the show and then start to practice. And being, again, being compassionate with yourself because you're learning a new thing. But when you do have trust in your intuition, it, it does get breed confidence for sure because you, you know that you're doing the right thing for you. Well, I love paying attention to intuition. I've learned over the years to do so. So we have our final break coming up and then we will be back and talking more about discounting the positive and emotional reasoning. And we will find more tips and, and tricks to help us be smooth communicators and make it through the trigger stage. We'll be right back after these messages. We're Wise Health for Women Radio, and we'll return after these short messages. Are you ready to start rocking that woohoo that only you do? Because Lisa Stedman is on a mission. She will dare you, challenge you, enlighten you, provoke and empower you to bring out that inner woohoo. Lisa is an internationally acclaimed best-selling author. She is a breakup expert, a brand consultant, CEO of Woohoo Inc. and the Woohoo Radio Network. She will show you how to take your boohoo and turn it into woohoo. 
woohoo. Get rebellious and get real. Get your dreams off the back burner. Get inspired and motivated to take action. Start rocking that woohoo that only you do in love, life, and business. She is going to be here for you every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time. Only here on the Woohoo Radio Network. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. According to Weight Watchers, people who are overweight or obese are 60 to 90% more likely to develop type 2 diabetes as those who are not. Weight matters, and what you eat is vital to your outcome. The facts show that 35% of Americans, which is roughly 79 million over the age of 20, have pre-diabetic blood sugar levels. If you are at risk of acquiring type 2 diabetes, you need to make changes in your diet and exercise. They report that losing weight, stepping up your physical activity, and eating a well-balanced diet are all critical to staving off or controlling diabetes. Diabetes is not something you want to mess around with. Keep your health and exercise a priority in your life and keep diabetes away. I'm Annette Hammond. To hear more fitness and weight loss tips, visit our website at AnnetteHammond.com. Welcome back. We are going to talk about, I love this topic. We were talking about it on break. Fortune teller. Start with that. <laughs> okay, so we're still talking about how we talk to ourselves. So we're, this is our self-talk. It's that little chatter that's going on in the background all the time, and it's not always useful. So fortune telling is is a form of jumping to conclusions. It's mm. it's making negative predictions about the future without any evidence or facts. So if to give you an example, it'd be um uh I won't be able to sell my house and I'll be stuck here forever, even though the housing market is good. Okay. Okay. Or or no one will understand. I won't be invited back again, even though you're hanging out with friends that are really supportive. Isn't that distortion or overgeneralizing? Yeah, these are all forms of distorted thinking for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So so fortune telling is that sort of predicting the future without any evidence to back it up. <laughs> I love that. I wasn't sure where you were going to go with that point. <laughs> um, well, it's just, you know, we can, again, this we talked about a spiral quite a lot today. And it's another spiral. It's like, okay, I am not, this isn't going to happen well for me. So therefore, the outcome is a catastrophe. And and that, when you have that belief, then how does that make you feel? And then if that, if that makes you feel worse, then suddenly your, your body language is all sluggish. And, and do you really feel like doing something that's going to make you feel better or doing something constructive to help your house sell? No. Mm-hmm. So you're going to wallow in it. That's the that's a very difficult point for some people, and I've gone through it. Well, you do wallow and you do give into it, and then you pick yourself up and move on again. So when we are discounting the positive, that's again the change in perspective. Back to self talk, back to viewpoint, 
what are some guidance points here? Discounting the positive is more when you can't you can't take a compliment. So so when someone pays you a compliment and says, uh, you know, that's what a lovely dress you're wearing. And you go, oh, this old thing? Oh, no, 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 no. When actually, it's probably the dress that you love most, but for some reason you're not accepting the compliment. So you're telling yourself that, that the dress is not, you know, the, the, the dress isn't as good as you thought it was. And then someone agreed with you and then you disagreed with them. But this happens. So, you know, if you say, oh, anyone could have done that, or insisting that your positive actions or the qualities that make you who you are or your achievements don't count. What that is actually saying to your unconscious is that you are less than. And what it will do, it will go and find you more evidence to support the fact that you are less than. Do you think women minimize themselves because we're also taught as young girls to be humble? Yes, I think we do. Um, I, and I think it's, it comes back to, to what's starting to change in the world, but it's probably going to take. It's a super tanker to turn around, but it's what the expectations that we had as girls and young women, and that's generational. So we were, we were inheriting the value systems of our mothers, our grandmothers, our great-grandmothers. It takes a long time to shift those generational value systems, mm-hmm. but we still have them. And yes, that is part of it for for a number of women um, that certainly that I work with. Um, and hopefully, hopefully we're starting to change that a little bit and empower our, our women a bit more and have more women in leadership, but it's not going to happen overnight. It isn't. And there's a, a pendulum swing. Things always seem to go all the way to one direction and back to the other, there is something to be said for humility and hubris. So I, I think that it's very interesting how the generations do go through exactly what you're talking about. So women are supposed to be able to, quote, manage their emotional responses and reasoning, you know, well. I mean, that's part of our gender makeup or, or what we're taught, or maybe that's one more generational belief. But when we don't manage them, is it possible we feel worse? Oh, definitely. So when we use emotional emotions to reason with ourselves, it, it usually works. Or when it becomes problematic, it's when we're doing it in the wrong direction. So what I mean by emotional reasoning is I feel, therefore I am. So remember we talked about mm-hmm. I am angry there, or versus I am feeling angry. Uh-huh. This this is a play on that. So it's like, well, I feel like I'm an idiot, so it must be true. Or I feel guilty, so I must have done something wrong. Or I feel really bad for yelling at my partner, so I must be really selfish and inconsiderate. Without exploring any of that to see if there's any evidence to support it or if it is indeed accurate at all. So, and that also feeds into this spiral of, well, I am less than because I can't manage my emotions appropriately and I'm supposed to be able to. So, again, it's just all of this self-imposed pressure that we're putting on ourselves in our own self-talk. There's a, a great quote by Louise Hayes and it says, 
be careful what you are what does it say be careful what you say to yourself because you are listening oh definitely now i i have to insert here on a positive spin as you become more aware it it seems to me that humor steps in to add some reasoning uh, balance to situations that might have been triggers before or memories that are less than. And I, I find that women are becoming more gentle, it seems, with themselves and being kinder and humorous about it. Yes, yes. I think humor is, I, I admire people that can go from you know, being in that place where they've turned their triggers around so much that they can see the humour in them. I think that's probably the epitome, isn't it? It's like the Mm -hmm. best outcome. Um, But even just getting to a point where you can just change the outcome, change the behaviour, change the way that you feel about things or stop that process before you would have done, you know, two weeks ago. And, And the the argument or the trigger or whatever it is doesn't cause you to behave in that pattern of behavior that that you know isn't serving you. I mm-hmm. think that's an absolute win, an absolute win. And and just being more gentle with yourself is, is how you get there. Well, and wins bring other wins. And I, I think that then you become inflated as opposed to deflated. Yeah, oh, I like that. Yes, wins become other wins. We we experience change or or we get change when we experience ourselves as competent and successful. Mm -hmm. So the more times we can put ourselves in a position where we can be competent and successful, the more evidence that we are building against those beliefs that we've been cultivating for the last however many years or decades. So giving, putting yourself in a position where you can make those small wins add up. Mm-hmm. That's how you change over time. And confidence grows with mm. the small wins. And I, I think confidence is a big part we haven't brought in. I'm going down a bunny trail here. Stop me if I am. But I think as you start to have control over those bad memories or those bad triggers or the things that don't serve you well because you realize the fears don't match the facts anymore, that that's a very confidence-building exercise. And so it really can serve to be a process that makes you feel great about yourself. Definitely. Definitely it is. You know, and confidence comes from being successful. You don't, you don't get confident by failing all the time or, you know, or beating yourself up. That doesn't serve you. But what does build confidence is, hey, I did that. Wow, okay, oh look, I did it again. Oh, I can really do this. And then you start to formulate the belief of I can versus I can't. Mm-hmm. Well, we learn that as a child. And then it, it comes back to haunt us in, in the reverse. So I, I find that there, there is a certain, we're back to put a smile on your face, um, make your body language open, um, be, be open to the positive meaning of what was just said, as opposed to the negative perspective, those are small changes, but they can reap huge benefits. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, going back to your text message thing, it Mm -hmm. is very much about, you know, well, what are all the other ways that this could be um, deciphered? What, Mm -hmm. What are the 
all the ways, instead of just picking on one, there are lots of ways that, that you can interpret text. So what are some of the other ones? And then you know what? You get to choose which one you want to type. <laughs> you get to choose. Choose wisely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But again, it takes practice. So, so be kind to yourself as you practice all of these things that we're sharing with you. And there's quite a lot. Well, there is. And I think on that text message, um, there if I'm truly puzzled by what a text message seems to mean, and it's surprising me that I'm reading it this way, I will share it with a close friend and say, how do you interpret this without giving them my interpretation? And more often than not, they'll say, oh, this is what I think. And it wasn't what I was thinking. So having a trusted friend is is really helpful in those situations. Definitely. And, it, you know, coming back to the, that our own unique recipe again, you know, we're all going to perceive things in a slightly different way um, in that situation. So, yeah, absolutely. Having having a different perspective is always useful. I, I think it's also valuable to say it out loud because in your head things get muddled. Lorraine, I want people to know how to reach you. And your website is LorraineHamilton.net, correct? That's correct. And I, I, you all have a Facebook page. You are very involved in the coaching space in New Zealand and have an academy. So accomplished. Thank you for sharing this wisdom with us today. Thank you so much for having me back. And I always love talking to you and I get very excited about talking about this stuff because I think, you know, just taking one piece and applying it will change. It will make a difference. It does. And thank you for those words of wisdom. We'll be back next week. Thank you for listening to Wise Health for Women. Thank you for tuning in today. You can find more shows at wisehealthforwomenradio.com.